You're listening to the Hey Elliot podcast at www.heyelliot.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, let's just do this. Okay, folks, this is the Hey Elliot podcast, and uh, I took a couple weeks off because I spent a whole nother Monday many moons ago um, pretty much doing what I'm going to do today. I talked to you about the um, the hey the hey Elliot curse from two thousand and eight, and I um, read you a little bit from uh, from a script. Maybe not from that time, but four years from that. Um, let's do sort of the same this time, okay? Because uh, I also have a story that I wrote five years ago. And, I don't know, maybe maybe what's going on with me right now is um, linked to these stories that I write, and then something bad happens. Maybe that's what stopped me the last, I don't know, 32 years. It's going to be 33 in a month, and I don't know. And I suppose you'd like an update of this current year of what's going on. When I predicted that there would probably be the five-year curse that befell me, befell me um, five years ago. Well, uh, you know I have been depressed. It's true. It didn't come from out. It came from within. You know, I spent the last two years doing puzzles and listening to podcasts, and all of a sudden. Those didn't work anymore. I just couldn't listen to it. It's like that Johnny Cash Folsom Prison Blues song. You know, the these people keep on moving and that's what tortures me. And it's true. You know, and the And then whenever I get these thoughts, these depressed thoughts there's always part of me who thinks I'm faking it for attention. But I don't tell anybody. I don't let them know about it. I just kind of let it burn. I tell a few people, you know, they send me a line or two, but that's about it. But it's like the usual hiding my head in the sand routine it isn't working anymore. And last night, a storm came through this town, so I had some wine left. I shut off a TV, shut off my light, and I just opened the window, and I don't know. I got lucky with this window. There's a nice view of the hills, and whenever a storm rolls through, it always rolls southeast, so I can see it move all the way over over the ridge. So I just did that, sat in the dark, and I listened to the same song over and over again. It's uh, The Kinks, um, Thin Line. Look that song up. I don't know, I've been kind of obsessed with it the last 24 hours. And uh, I think in that moment I decided that I don't know the odds of getting out of this place. I don't know if it's because... 
I just can't get myself to save that much money. Or if I can't get myself to work two jobs. I don't know. It just... You know, I'm going to be 33 in a month. You know, and the, the way the world's going... And the news I read, it's just... Things deteriorate, and then the people in my life are on Facebook are just having families out of nowhere. And I feel like I've just been this rock that life passes by, and people leave their graffiti on it, and water kind of wears it away, and chunks of it get clipped off, just still this rock there people have come and gone and that's kind of where I was and I still am a little bit so what I've decided instead of keeping these stories in my head I'm just going to put it on my website at heyelliot.com every idea I've ever had And if anyone looks it up, which I will promote it on all Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, every thought I have, and I'll have a page where I update it just like, just like it would be Twitter. Because I don't, I don't like the fact that these companies have the rights to my pictures and ideas just because I think sharing them is going to get me somewhere. I used to think that. I used to think, you know, keep these contacts because they might help you later. But they don't. They don't help you. And they just move on. Don't answer a simple hey comment. I know this is why I'm going to read you this story because I don't want... Because it is starting off with a bummer. Because maybe the curse is actually a five-year curse. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do anything to myself because probably would have already if I was going to. So I'm going to start putting every idea, every story idea I've ever had, I'm going to put synopsises to it. I'm going to put outlines to it. I'm going to fill them out. Any chance I get on this website... And I don't know if you guys understand, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to act as if I'm this genius, but I have ideas that float around constantly, and then I go on this typewriter that's not going to do me any good anymore, and I write a sentence or two. Or I look in my notebooks and I see it there. And the last actual story that had a beginning, middle, and end is the story I'm going to read to you. And I suppose the story is important because every five years, whatever happens, it begins with a woman. And 2013, it began with another woman. 
Um, I don't remember the names I told you to kind of, um, I don't even, oh, I don't have the names. So let's just try to work this out, okay? I don't know where the, the notebook is. Well, hold on a second. Okay, I'm going to pause, and we're going to look for the notebook. Okay, and the answer to that is no, I do not. But let's uh, we'll refer back to uh, the other curse if you didn't listen to it. And if it's the first time you're listening to this, because I hopefully will not be telling these stories again. Maybe I'll put them in writing, put them on the website. Like I said, I am going to start putting every idea I have for free on my website. I mean, there's going to be a Patreon page link. If you want to donate money, you can do that too. But like I said, I guess I'm done waiting for help. You know what I'm saying? I know this is starting off as a bummer, but we're going to have a nice story here. And then I'll tell you the basis of this story that I tell you in between. But like I said, uh, 2008 started with a girl. I forgot what I called her, but we ended up making out on a radio station. And it didn't end well for me there. Five years later, I was living in a studio apartment with this girl. And um, actually, she was my fiance at the time. And I don't know. I guess I asked her to marry me at Disney World in 2011. And I don't know. It just seemed once that happened, what we had in that little cramped studio apartment was starting to kind of go away. You know, they say uh, familiarity breeds contempt. And I guess we weren't meeting each other's needs. And it kind of... It kind of became a a very stressful situation. And how I reacted to it, like I alluded to uh, weeks ago, was I started uh, drinking. I started hiding my drink. Hiding my booze. And I was... uh, I was doing good at it. Um, I mean, there were days where... It should have been so obvious that I was drunk. But uh, she didn't... She didn't notice. I don't know why that is. And I did lie to her. And... uh, Well, let's get to the girl, okay? The girl, uh, oof. maybe I should get my note. My, okay, let's call this girl. Let's call her. Let me see. Let's call her. Uh, wait. Let's call her Jezebel. Okay. <laughs> Our Gumar, because I've been watching. Uh, Sopranos. And uh, here's a plug for the Sopranos. If you want to hear a 40-year-old man breathe heavy for six years, that's a show for you. Definitely the show for you. 
Anyway, um, now this uh, young woman worked at the same place I worked at. She also lived at the apartment complexes across the street. I saw her once or twice while I was walking my dog, which I'll start sharing pictures of her on my uh, website as well. I'll start sharing uh, images that I find and I, you know, use whatever filter. I'm gonna I'm gonna fill up that website, and maybe someday someone will stumble across it and um, be able to use all the information for their own needs. Maybe they'll be able to do something better. I don't know if that uh, air conditioner is uh, annoying you. I might turn it off in a little bit. It's just like 90 degrees and I'm on the third floor of this building. Anyway, um, she had been working at the place that I work at for a few years before this. And we'd say hi, you know, I'm just hi, how are you? And, uh, one day she mentioned that, uh, she mentioned that, you know, she knew that we live shielded across the street and that we should hang out. Now, the same psychopathic, same animal-like brain that clicked in with the girl from four years ago or five years ago before that kicked in. And basically I wasn't happy and I'm sure my fiance knew that. But I'm also sure she was working two jobs and going to school and she thought I could take care of myself, I guess. Well, Okay. Whatever. Uh, apparently I wasn't able to take care of myself. And I'm still not apparently able to take care of myself. So anyway. You know this. This time. this It's a little harder to talk about. Because. Of what I'll get to after I'm done reading the story. This, I don't know. I'll just keep going, okay? I don't have anything written down. Anyway, so Jezebel... uh, I get that thing clicking in my head. I'm like, maybe I could... Maybe I could have my chance at some fun. Because... It's... Because I'm a silly man, that's why. So... May of that year... Of uh, our Lord, 2013, I was. I saw her at the place we work, and like, hey, do you want to hang out this weekend? And she was like, yeah, sure. And so, you know, I gave her my number, and she came over, and then uh, we drank for a while and talked, and and I guess I guess she had something about using another person's bathrooms we went to down the road to this convenience store and she used a bathroom there I bought another jug of wine because that's where I was even in the state where I was going to try to 
Wait, no, no, this was before. Wait a second, before. So we were drinking. And then uh, she wanted to go outside for a smoke. And so we were sitting there. Um, right outside our door, there's this uh, cement kind of uh, cement wall that kind of blocks the, um, you know, the, the, the land from tumbling in front of the door. And there's this old biker dude who lived right outside as well. But we were just sitting there. And she started talking to him this guy and then talking about um, I think uh, motorcycles because her dad had uh, ridden one in his time and so she was talking to him and there was a storm rolling through Uh, we could see the lightning pretty much where I could have seen it last night that kind of straight ahead lightning and we were watching it, and he was talking, and after a while, that guy finished his smoke, and uh, the old biker dude went inside the apartment. Now, where was my uh, fiancé at the time? Well, funny you should ask. My fiancé was, at one point, pretty close to her family, and so she would go on weekends to see them about two hours outside of town which happened a lot so I was left alone to my own devices quite a bit and for a while she'd leave the dog and after a while she started taking the dog so that's where my fiance was and uh, on this night I just happened to be uh, an asshole okay there, you said it. I'm not... I'm I'm not a... I am not a hero of my own story, okay? I'm just a guy who makes bad decisions like a bad decision monkey bar. Anyway. So, we're sitting there. She's probably on her second cigarette. I don't know. And then she starts kind of talking about her life. And at one point... Now... You're gonna see a pa- you're gonna see a pattern evolve here with um, Elliot and strippers, okay? But at one point years ago, she was a young stripper. When she was a young stripper, well, no, talked about her being a stripper. Talked about her life in Arizona, and then she started talking about the time she lost her child Um, and I remember that day because her mom Jezebel's mom also worked at the same business that I work at and I remember that day and I remember her mother crying and you know I, I suck at consoling people I'm sure I did the best I could at that time But then right there with the lightning in the distance and she was, she was talking about, she was talking about losing her child during birth. It was a stillbirth. I forgot what happened, but I know in that moment I was buzzed and um, she looked pretty sad. And so I kissed her. I kissed her right on the mouth 
and she replied with you kissed me and I was like yeah yeah what can you do and then that's when we decided to walk to the convenience store down the street she said something to the effect of you know we're not going to sleep together right I was like oh why not because I was drunk right like "Eh, why not and she said because it would be awkward and I was like ah whatever okay and we just kept walking and then Right at the light, before we got to the convenience store, she pulled me, pulled my hand, and we kissed again. And then we walked in. I got my big old jug of wine. And we walked back. And I don't know. I think I'd, I was getting ready for the trip to uh, Florida, um, which was going to happen in like a week or two. And... I had gotten all these CDs together because I was going to upload them onto a laptop and I was going to listen to those on the trip on the ride down there to Florida. Well, um, she was messing with them. She popped in Ace of Bass and, uh, you know, she started singing to it. And I was listening to her sing and I was pouring myself another glass or whatever and then she comes to me and we hook up. We hook up there in my apartment. I don't know, in the apartment that I shared with my fiance, okay? Which, you know, it is shameful. Shameful, Elliot. Uh, you know, I don't know the thing about strippers. I think maybe it's because the desire to perform for people. I mean, clothes or no clothes, I think it's a calling that certain people have and then these people find each other. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense, does it? Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, the next day, I thought pretty highly of myself because, you know, I guess maybe I, I successfully um, seduced a woman. Maybe. Or because maybe I finally got back at my fiancé. Whatever you want to call it. And then Jezebel walks in and avoids my eye contact. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Alright. I guess it is awkward. And then a couple days go by, I finally go to where she's working in the business. And she says she's moving back to Arizona, just like that. Oh, wait a second. Oh, no. I forgot a very important part of that story. Let's rewind. After we had uh, hooked up, she took a glass in her cigarette. She took a a glass of uh, vodka and orange juice with her and um, said she's going to be right back. And I waited and I waited and I went I went down to where that cement uh, wall was, and the only thing that was there was a empty pack of cigarettes and a um, whiskey glass half filled with water. That's probably the last time I really talked to her, because fast forward a few days later, she says, half filled with water because it was raining. It had started raining. I remember that. So after that, she had walked home in the rain, alone. I don't know, probably ashamed. She probably, I think, she knew that I had. I was living with somebody. 
you know, that's also bad on me to do to someone else. <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> let's forget that I'm a piece of shit, okay? See, I started off with this old poor me speech at the beginning. And now my true colors shine, okay? Give me a break. All right. Okay. And, um... That's the last time I really heard from Jezebel. But I was thinking about her a lot because it was like last time. It was like the one time I had physical contact in a long time. It was that bad with that in that studio apartment. And I don't blame my fiance at all. I just think... I think our brains were going on two different paths, and I don't know. It kind of sucks when it does that. I mean, we're still on good terms, and um, I still go seeing my dogs. Um, she's not my fiance, by the way, but that's we'll get to there. <laughs> okay, so the plan was. I was going to... It was this time I was going to drive down there. Wait, did we drive... We drove down there together, didn't we? Yeah. The plan was we were going to drive to Florida together. And then she was going to fly back. There we go. And then she was going to fly back. I guess she because she wanted to keep the money going. Keep the work flowing. So, yeah. So she... I, I, I dropped her off at the um, Orlando International Airport and I drive back and uh, I have to wait for my friend to get off work I have to wait for him to get off work and so I was thinking about Jezebel and and I had to wait and then I, yeah so I was on a, I was on one of those, um, you know, there the, the duck boat. It was a duck boat that um, that Disney uses for uh, hotel guests of the Swan and Dolphin and whatever hotel to get to World Showcase at Epcot. And so I started writing this. I wrote this story based on based on Jezebel, and also based on. My own feelings of of being trapped, kind of, as trapped by duty of a family, and I started this, and I wrote this throughout the summer because I wasn't getting hours like I wanted to. I was getting minuscule hours. And so I had plenty of time to drive to the uh, Panera Bread over in Clearwater, Florida. Not Clearwater. No, 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 no. Not Clearwater, but it's just outside of uh, Kissimmee. Um, I'll probably remember it soon. And I also had had this idea in my head about a story where it starts with a small expo- explosion and as the story gets bigger and bigger the explosions get larger so I started putting those together and then I came up with this 
So I need to give you a break because we're going to get to the bad, the tough mumbo jumbo here soon, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start reading this. And after the hour mark, we'll start it over again, okay? We'll do what we did last time a little backwards. So maybe you'll kind of get an insight of why I'm, maybe I feel stuck. All right. This says, uh, started from a boat, Memorial Weekend 2013. And then I signed my name poorly, which I still sign my name poorly. But are you ready for this? It's called The Rube, because I had been on a big Hunter S. Thompson kick. And his last book he ever put out is called Hey Rube. So, now this, um... This particular version of it, I believe, is the second uh, second walkthrough. Um, so I'm going to pause again, and I'm going to shut off that air conditioner, and I'm going to read you a story. And I'm not going to do the silly thing I did last time where I did girl voices, okay? I know that's going to disappoint you because of all the feedback I got that loved it. Uh, anyway, one second. And I am back. All right, you ready for this? Because this is the second rough draft, so this isn't the final bit. I'll probably, maybe I'll throw this all on my website too. What the hey, right? Like I said, all my ideas are going to go on there. And I don't know, maybe someone will find use for it. So here we are, okay? The electrical charge startled me as I reached for the doorknob. It gave an audible pop. It caused me to look at the living room one last time. My eyes passed over chairs, a couch, the television, speakers, electronics, decors that, although I helped buy, move, place, I didn't see it as my own. My eyes skirted the living room mirror and fell on the picture of my wife and I. We shocked each other on our first kiss. I held on to that thought for a few seconds. The day we met, our dogs got tangled up and ran away together. After searching and talking, I asked her out. The date and the electrifying kiss happened later, and now I was leaving her and the kids. I I was sure I'll never be back. I'm not sure how it came to this. Well, that was a lie. It happened years after that kiss. And during those wonderful years, it was her and me. I was so enveloped in her. The smile that spoke a thousand words, the body that appeared to be just for me. Everything she did was magical. We got married, had an expensive honeymoon in Tuscany, and it was wasted on us. We drank wine and never left our five-star hotel room. Alas, what you marry isn't usually what you end up married to. She was a mother from the very start. I was first and foremost a husband. So when the kids came, the attention stopped. I don't want to be so selfish as to say I noticed it from the beginning, but I did. The moment those beautiful green eyes landed on that child, they were no longer mine. Suddenly, there was a new person in our family. I was going to love this person no matter what. Those were very brave thoughts. Yeah, brave is what you need in the beginning when you know an act is going to be over quick. For this, bravery was not something I needed. But I kept up. I was father of the year for the years after that. One day I woke up with a feeling in my stomach. 
a feeling of dread and loneliness. It stayed with me. I would wake up, and the feeling would come back after the sensation in my stomach. I would notice the kids next to me are lack of anyone. I brought it up to my wife once or twice. The subject would be changed or ignored. I no longer saw that smile that I had called mine. I stopped coming home from work on time. I found a bar with a good corner. I would have a drink. Soon a drink turned into two drinks, then two turned into three. A few nights I wondered how I made it home at all. I became a man who lingered after work, talking to anyone I knew. I knew people talked. I've even gossiped about guys like gossiped about guys like me, afraid of his own home. When I finally got home, my wife wouldn't notice. I found my desk and sat until bedtime. That was the cycle I found myself in. Until one night at the bar, I noticed a young woman walk in. She walked in with a man, a fact which I didn't notice until later. She wore jeans and a black shirt. If I could tell you the style or name brands, I wouldn't be doing justice to what my eyes saw. Every move she made was precise and smooth. She sat, so she faced me. Her shirt had been buttoned so she exposed her breasts enough to get attention. Her lips were pink and full, not an ounce of lipstick. I was very distracted by this young woman. She caught me staring. For a second, I felt embarrassed. Suddenly, she smiled at me, her brown eyes glittering, and it was over. For that, I wasn't the ghost I made myself out to be. If I deserved a smile like that, then I certainly deserved to be seen. When I got home, energized, I kissed my wife. I was quickly denied and admonished. When I went to bed, I let that smile carry me to sleep. I didn't see this woman for a few days. I was back in my corner, nursing my second rum and coke. I looked up and saw the girl. She looked at me. I smiled at her and pretended to be busy myself with my phone. When I looked up, she would be looking at me and then glance away. We were like a couple of teenagers. I felt a feeling that I hadn't felt in a long time, a wicked anticipation. I felt my back prickle, even a bead of sweat run down my spine. Suddenly, the girl left her table and sat in front of me. Hi, I said. Hello, she replied. We talked, from mundane topics to music. Dana, her name was Dana. And you, what's your name? Dana wanted to know. Gary Shambler. Nice to meet you, Gary Shambler. Dana smiled. Dana told me her story, a past so heartbreaking, I couldn't think of a story so sad. Abuse, neglect, mental torture. I kissed her. There was a moment I left in the air. Dana mentioned some vinyl at her place. We could listen to a little. The sound of my voice, like a young man on a first date. I remember having a discussion about invasive species, a topic no one in my life could be bothered with. Dana, smoking out the window, listening to me. Some Melissa Etheridge CD playing, and me babbling away. 
I had found the idea of invasive species an interesting topic lately. Animals living their lives perfectly allowed to live, but wrong nonetheless, killing everything around it, sucking the very essence of existing, and yet they are only doing what they know. What's ethical? What's the ethical thing to do? I rambled on nervously for an eternity. Next thing, we were kissing on her bed. What came next was the best thing to happen to me in a long time. It was great, at times embarrassing. For once I felt like I was worth something. For a long time I felt as if I was a for a long time before this, I felt as if I was a paycheck. My wife had her kids. I had my corner. Afterwards, we sat on the bed. I told her I had a family. I had no idea how she would react. She didn't surprise... She, she surprised me by kissing me and told me I should go home then. After I left that old studio apartment, I had no guilt... No worry. I felt the best I felt in years. In the car, I hurt my throat singing along to the radio. When I got home, my wife was asleep. I laid myself down and let Dana carry me to sleep. I woke up without the feeling of regret and worry flushing over me. I went for a run. I hadn't run in five years. My opinion of myself rose. I wasn't near as old or tired as I made myself out to be. I was smiling. I gave my wife a hug and a peck on the cheek as the mother of my children gave me the rundown of my chores. I thought of Dana, and I didn't give a damn about my wife's list. The worst part was sitting in my corner in the bar not knowing my next move. I didn't see her for two days, until one day, nursing my second drink of the evening, she sits down across from me. Hey, I say. I've been thinking. I wait for a second, seeing if she would elaborate. After a moment, I broke the tension. Me too. Dana looked at me with those brown eyes. My mind started to play that old Van Morrison song, My Brown-Eyed Girl. I'm sorry if I put you in any trouble, I said. If I hurt you in any way, I'm sorry. I need you to know I haven't felt this happy in years. I convinced myself not to live, that I deserved to sit here and work and sit here. At this point, my mind wasn't cooperating. You made me feel something. I don't want you to think the other night was a bad thing. Don't ever think that. I took a drink of my rum. Dana smiled at me. In that smile, I was reminded of sitting at a window. Outside, a cold day, the warmth of the sun magnifying through the glass. Dana broke. You're married. I replied, on paper. Other than that, I'm just a paycheck. Something was changing me at that moment. My mind went from being a lovelorn boy to an animal. I wanted that feeling again. I became like a dog spotting a squirrel. My eyes traced her body. Listen, I've got I've got the Warren Zevon Stand in the Fire live album back at my place if you want to listen to it. Don't ask me about the album. I couldn't tell you. Afterwards, laying with Dana, she said something unexpected. I'm leaving for Arizona. Oh, yeah? I said, trying to sound noncommittal. 
Yeah, I leave tomorrow. I have a family over there. I don't think I'll be back. You know, any other man would take this to mean he's off the hook. One minor transgression and poof, slate clean. Not me. I couldn't go back to my corner, my circle. There was no way I could go back. My mind was racing. Dana spoke. Would you like to come with? Oh. Yeah. Any ounce of cool drained from my voice. I became that lovelorn little boy again. I tried to explain I needed more than a few hours. Dana calmly explained it had to be the next day. I relented. In her was freedom. We kissed and held each other. I went home and found the bed occupied by two children, a dog, and my wife. The feeling in my stomach started coming back. I slept on the couch, thankful I was leaving. Dana once again carried me to sleep. When I woke up, I read the paper, packed my bags, and finished the paper. The only words my wife spoke were, We need more milk. I'll pick up some today, I replied. No sign for me to stop what I had planned. Just the same reminder staring me in the face. My wife and the kids left. The doorknob shocked me, and I locked the door behind me. I'm going to get a sip here, okay? Getting a little parched reading this. Okay. Exciting, right? Dana walked naked through her studio apartment. She felt relaxed and satisfied. She places a robe around her, picks up her phone, and dials from a piece of paper. A mechanical voice answers, Jin. Dana pictured her father holding the device that helped him speak to his throat. Father, it's me, Dana. Dana, the voice spoke. It unsettled most people, but not to the girl he raised. I found someone. He's perfect to bring to the drop. Chin's voice answered. Well, let me meet Mr. Perfect first. I'll see you tomorrow, Father. Good night, Princess, the grinding mechanical voice said. Whenever are you gonna whenever are you gonna stop calling me that? Dana said. Never, Jin replied. Jin disconnected, and Dana let's let the image of money take her. Jin, disconnecting from his daughter, looks up from his wheelchair. Two men standing behind a kneeling man, waiting for Jin to say anything. The man on the floor could be recognized as a man who spoke to Dana at the bar four nights ago. I don't think him. we need him anymore, the mechanical voice ordered. The man kneeling makes a loud outburst of panic before the wire is brought around his throat. The yell echoes around the dimly lit holes that seem to go on forever. All right. By the time we reached reached Oklahoma, I had convinced myself that loud bang from behind the door was in fact the kid's television. He seemed incapable of turning that television down. So now, as acres and acres of wasted land rolled past, I recalled the morning's events. Much like the lands I now passed, Professor Jin had a lot that he would never farm, 
raise animals, whatever. He wanted that land just to have it. I left my 97 Dodge minivan in the park where my kids played. I slipped into the dark blue Corvette, and there she was with a smile on her beautiful face. Are you ready? She wanted to know. Yes, I am. With that, Dana raced out of the parking lot. I told her I forgot to lock the doors of the minivan. She told me not to worry. We do have one stop to make before we leave, Dana went on to explain. She had an old mentor to say goodbye to. His name was Professor Jin. We rolled past the iron gates. The security guard's eyes never left me. His body remained rigid and tense. We drove past large oak trees and firs with little to see past them. The dirt driveway continued for a mile, the sun in our eyes the whole time. The sun bothered to disappear behind the large mansion. Columns faced us with one large Confederate flag on the left, an American on the right, and in the middle over the door was a large blue flag with the symbol of a black snake swallowing a bird, what looked like to be a dove. Dana saw me staring at the flag. Jin, he loves his flag and its followers. We headed up the cement stairs. A wheelchair rolled out onto the porch. A man no older than maybe, than maybe 50 or 60. He was bald, tubes snaked out from his nose to the back of the chair. He had a hole in his neck. A black polo unbuttoned at the top revealed his hairy chest. At the left arm was an ashtray. Jin smiled at Dana. Jin brought in the microphone to his throat. Hello, Dana. Jin's voice unsettled me. Then again, mechanical voices that warned a person about the weather unsettled me. Dana gave Jin a hug. This is Gary, Dana said. Jin offered me his hand. Nice to meet you, Gary. We went inside the doors and through a hallway. We got to the kitchen. It was a large white kitchen, large windows facing east. The sun was just over the top. Jin offered us a seat. Suddenly there was a large explosion from the television. The noise seemed to startle Dana as well. Jin yelled, turn that damn TV down. Damn kid never stops watching that fucking television. I looked over towards the living room. There was, in fact, a little boy sitting in front of a large flat screen. The channel changes to a cartoon. It appeared to be Aladdin. Thankfully, there it stayed, so no more surprise explosions. The three of us headed over to a table by the large window. Dana, dear, I was wondering if you can make us a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah, Dana replied, and turned to me, and with a wink. I'll be right back. Don't worry, he doesn't bite. We watched Dana leave the room. I noticed a man sitting near the door. I briefly wondered how it was I didn't notice him before. And so it was Professor Jin and I, between the man in the corner. Jin lighting a cigarette, the wall of window revealing an expanse of rolling hills and the kids' television blaring. I was on information overload. From the sound on the TV, I knew what song was going to be next. Friend Like Me. It was 
certainly my children's favorite of the Disney songs. Before my mind could think of the children, I just abandoned. Jin brought his microphone to his throat and started to speak. So, Gary Shambler, Jin said, with a smile that smoke blew through. The television started that song. Well, Alibaba had his 40 thieves. My Dana wants to run away with you. That's fine with me. She's an adult. I don't want you to think of me as an old poor fool. I built loyalties. I have eyes everywhere looking out for her. And as long as she has eyes for you, I will never trust you, but I can help you both. There's money being put in a new account, and it's all yours. A new BMW, all yours, so you can focus on Dana and no other worries. Don't be distracted. I want her in Arizona safe and sound. Can you do that for an old sinful bastard? Because if you can't... Jin's eyes flickered to the man in the corner. I guess that's your choice. The song in the living room finished. Never had a friend like me. Turn down that damn TV, Jin yelled. Dana walked in and set down our coffee. Dana, I just told Gary here about me helping out with your drive out west. You know, I loved riding the desert on that old 44 Indian. It went on like that. Suddenly this man was an old grandpa reliving his days. I was a little shocked at his speech. I wondered how much Dana actually said to Jin. I felt the need to go to the restroom and get out of this table. I asked where the restroom was. Jin directed me toward the door where the man sat. I excused myself and started through the door past where Dana made the coffee. Down a dark hallway, I walked ahead, now unsure now unsure of where the restroom was. I came upon a man standing near a door. I started to ask where the restroom was when I heard a muffled bang from behind the door. I looked at the large man. He sniffed. That kid never turns the damn TV down. Bathrooms two doors down and to the right. I finished up in the bathroom. My mind turned to the drive ahead. Dana and Jen were speaking quietly. D Dana smiled at me. My worries were gone. Jin shook my hand, and we continued on our way in a brand new black BMW convertible. I'm going to need another sip here. Boy, goodness gracious, how verbose am I? All right, got that out of the way. Professor Jin lit another cigarette. The ash glowing brighter the longer the drag went. The exhale made him look like a steam engine, cigarette smoke billowing from his nostrils, mouth, and the hole in his throat. His mind went over the conversation with his daughter. He had told her he liked the look of Gary. There was going to be so many questions when his body is found with the dead FBI agents. Jin's loose connection to them will be the smallest footnote. He had gotten a call from his connection in the FBI about a drop in the Arizona desert. It seemed like a petty drug deal, only from what the man said, it was going to be the largest exchange of money for drugs he's ever heard of. 
Friends of his, more FBI agents, wanted in on the money. Jin and his men had been doing dirty work for his connection for a decade. He would get tips about his enemies and competitors, and this man would get a fat check. Problem was, this was the third time he got an order from them. It was all to sever the connection. Once and for all, in the desert, and all Gary had to do was be there. Jin's men would make would take care of the rest. Jin only had one important question for Dana. Are you in love with him? He watched her closely. Dana answered, no. No. Jin heard the gunshot behind the door. A, a voice in his ear announced that Troy was dead. Jin had told the man if he moved, he would be shot. He just hoped Gary hadn't heard it. Jin smiled at Dana. He raised her well. He knew she would get Gary to Arizona. He wondered if the kid in the living room would grow up to be as obedient as Dana had. After he saw the two off, he went back to the kitchen and lit his cigarette. The phone in his breast pocket rang. Jin laid the cigarette in his ashtray. It was another one of his kids, Dixon. Hey, Chief, Dixon said. Dixon, Jen greeted. So about this drop, Dana has it taken care of. Damn it, Dixon yelled. Now hold on, son, I didn't say you can't be there. I'm listening, Dixon said. Dana may have it covered, but it's not certain. I may need you there just in case she gets any crazy ideas in her head. How does that sound? Great, great, Chief, Dixon exclaimed. In a studio apartment in downtown Los Angeles, Dixon disconnected from the cell phone. The man who lay bleeding out on the floor coughed more blood. Dixon watched as more blood flowed from the stomach wound. He then kneeled down at the head of the man and ruffled the, man, the dying man's hair. Hey, Chief. Thanks for the call. Thanks more for the call. I mean it. Damn decent. And with a couple pats on the head, Dixon stood up and shoots a man twice in the head. Dixon walks up to the mirror and checks himself out, his long brown hair tied back, the light scar on his forehead, the black shirt making his brown skin just pop. After admiring himself, Dixon walks over to the microwave, pops open the door, and proceeds to load it with items he found under the sink. Placing the cell phone in with it, Dixon hurriedly, hurriedly leaves the dark studio, runs to the end of the hallway, and watches as the door of the apartment explodes outwards, followed by a fireball and smoke. Dixon shudders and smiles. Then he leaves for Arizona. Isn't that exciting, folks? I have another sip here. <clears throat> we laid naked in bed. Dana was asleep. I watched the ceiling change colors. Red, green, red, green. I knew the sex was supposed to distract me from what happened at the bar. As I lay there, it came back to me. The car in front of me backfired. I jumped out of reflex and looked around me a little embarrassed. The small gas station outside of Oklahoma was a little deserted place. 
The earth around the station was hard and cracked. The sun hung low on the horizon. The wind had started to pick up. The pump handle clicked off, giving me another start. I could not figure out what was making me so jumpy. I headed towards the gas station. An old man sat against the wall. His hair was long and gray. At the top of his head was a bald patch. His face was covered with acne scars, with acne scars. His left eye looked to have been caved in. The skin under the eye was not there. Instead, it oozed milky white. His right eye looked gray and foggy. He sat next to a tin cup that looked older and made more and more banged up than he was. His clothes told a story of the last 30 years of his life. Holes, stains, dirt. I couldn't tell if he was talking as I walked up to him. I did notice he only had four teeth. Only his fang teeth remained. I reached into my pocket and found four wrinkled ones. I placed them into the tin and kept going inside. The door chimed. A lonely guitar greeted my ears. I walked the dirty, mop-streaked floor towards the drinks. As I reached the cold handle, suddenly arms reached around my waist and a kiss laid behind my ears. I turned around and looked at my woman. Dana kissed my lips and mentioned a bar and hotel down the street. No rush to Arizona. I looked. I took her in. Whoops, hold on. I looked her in the eyes, and I was in complete agreement. We drove to... We drove to the bar when we entered the first set of doors was glass with the normal push bar. The second set were wooden doors like a saloon from a western. We walked to a booth. A woman in blue jeans and a tight black shirt. She took our orders when we were alone. Dana asked me, Are you happy? I considered it for a second. Yes, I answered. For the first time in a long time, I'm happy. I'm glad, Dana announced. Our drinks came. A toast, Dana began, to big risks and new beginnings. Cheers, I said, and we threw down a shot. I noticed a large man enter the bar and sit down at the bar. He had a large gut, large arms, and a helmet of tattoos covering a bald head. I have to admit something, Dana said. I feel a little guilty. Dana dropped her eyes for a moment. No, I said, you don't ever think you've done a bad thing. I stole a man from his family. You did nothing wrong, I said, raising my voice a little. The man at the bar's eyes flickered to me for a beat. You freed me. What we did woke me up. The last six years has been a constant circle of work, drink, home, sleep. I, I would do this while my wife got the kids ready or on days off. They would get to go to parks, museums, movies, dinners. I used to do that with her. I placed my hand over Dana's. I felt like nothing. So I became nothing. Up until I met you. Now I feel worth something. I'm not what I convinced myself I was. And now... Now I'm exploring these new feelings, ideas, and it's thanks to you. If my wife starts to miss me, it won't be until tomorrow. 
or the week after that. You did nothing wrong. You saved me. Dana smiled and clasped my hand. As I talked, I had noticed the old man from the gas station walk in, sit down at the bar, and pay for a drink with my four dollars. The old man caught me looking at him, smiled, and tipped his glass towards me. I lifted mine to his. He smiled, his fangs gleaming in the dim light. Dana looked over to who I was tipping my glass to and looked over at me. I bought that man his drink, I said. Dana collected her purse. I'm going to go smoke. You want to come with? I'll pass. I need to use the restroom. Dana and I kissed and went our separate ways. I walked to the back of the bar, letting the rhythm of ACDC's shook me all night long affect my walk. I felt good. A new life with a new woman. I walked through the first door and headed for the men's room. Suddenly, a hand seized. The hand the size of a hubcap... Oh, goodness, hold on a second. I might need to pause. Suddenly, a hand the size of a hubcap clamped me on the shoulder, spun me around, and slammed me into the wall, followed by a slap to the head, narrowly missing my ear. What are you doing with that woman? A voice said. I looked up and could only focus on the tattoos on a bald head. Who? I mumbled. Now two large hubcaps wrapped around my shoulders. I saw two black eyes. Why are you with that girl? Where are you going? The hubcaps tightened and slammed me against the wall. Suddenly the door opened up and a serving tray came crashing on the man. It would have only momentarily stunned the man if it was just one hit with a tray. After ten, the tray was broken and so was the man. Dana looked at me and grabbed me by the hand and pulled pulled we hurriedly we sorry we hurried through the door past broken glass and our server passed onlookers out the door there were a group of people huddled around a figure on the ground dana kept leading me around the corner and to our hotel room when we got in she let me collapse on the bed what just happened i asked my father, he hasn't made only friends in his life, she added. I'm sorry that happened. Dana went into the bathroom. I waited a few more seconds before I sat up. My hands were still shaking from that event. Dana came out of the bathroom and started to kiss me. She wrapped her arms around my neck, and suddenly I forgot the man in the hallway. All right, we are going to take a break there. I'm going to upload this, and I will continue the Rube and the Haley Curse 2013. Um, thanks for listening. I hope you will be listening to the next episode. Um, yeah, and uh, if you don't, check out my website sometime. It's going to have stories on it, ideas. I don't know what's going to go on with them. I just know they need to be out there. All right? Thanks for listening. <laughs>